Hey folks, have you visited our friends at adamandeve.com yet? Use our special discount code HORROR at checkout for 50% off almost any item, plus a free gift, plus free shipping. Oh my god, that's H-O-R-R-O-R. So before you start the show, head over to adamandeve.com for some sexy discounts. The only thing sexier than sex is discounts. Mmm, discounts. Hi, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome to another exciting episode of I'm Horrified. I'm Allie Rayner. And I'm Sam Buntich. And and we're your hosts. Oh, God, we both remember to say our names and then it fell apart. <laughs> I was about to say that was the smoothest intro we've ever had. And then I ruined it. Well, we've both been hitting the rosé a little bit That's tonight. true. I would love to do one... Maybe for New Year's, I do think we should do one drunk I'm horrified. I was thinking for Halloween, because I feel way. like Halloween would be our yeah. spooky sort a spooky of trademark. Drunk episode. Yeah. And we talk about just like our most deep seated fears of like, you know Being alone. Being alone, dying alone. Absolutely. Never truly being accepted by our loved ones. Ooh, that one's mine. Ooh, ouch. What's mine? What do you think mine is? The dark. Yeah. But also all it <laughs> But represents. also like but also like the dark, you yeah. know? The darkness within the and darkness without. Within. So we went right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. So this week we're going to talk about pyramid schemes. And purebred dogs. Oh boy. Two exciting topics. Let's do it. I'm so excited to learn more about pyramid schemes. Me too. I was really excited to learn more. I started thinking, what am I going to do this week? And I was sort of kicking a bunch of ideas around in my head, mm-hmm. and I'll probably do them all At some later point. in later days. When the muse yes. deigns to visit. But I thought of this, and I was like, yes, I want to learn more about that, and I hope you do too. So a pyramid scheme, also known as a pyramid scam, Whoa. is a business model that promises individuals money in exchange for bringing in new participants to the scheme. So in its straightforward sense, If I'm the top of the pyramid and I tell you and one other person, let's say our roommate Becky. Yes. I tell you and Becky, here's the thing. If you two give me $100 a month, here's what I'll do. Once you guys get other people to give you $100 a month, Mm -hmm. so you guys find two underlings of your own. Absolutely. I'll give you 90 of those dollars in like a recurring investment cycle. So all you have to do is get the ball rolling, and then when we bring more people into the fold, you're going to start seeing a return on your investment. So mathematically, that would break down, like, say you're giving me $100 a month, Becky's giving me $100 a month, I'm making $200 a month, and you're making nothing. And then the next month, you each get two people. Yes. That's great. Let's do it. Um, But so basically, I take in money from all six of you, but I kick back... What did I say? Ninety, eighty dollars uh-huh. per person. Ninety dollars per person. So one hundred eighty dollars back to each of you. Great. So now you're seeing some a, money, a profit. But I'm seeing a lot more money. True. Because I'm at the top of the pyramid. So that return will inflate if you can get more of your own underlings to recruit more people because you convince them that you can make money this way, and they'll do it because you convince them. Hey, if you can get some bozo to give you money, you know, by saying that they can make money, we're all gonna get rich. But the problem there is that you don't put two and two together and say to yourself, wait, if I'm tricking this bozo 
into giving me money because I'm telling them they can make money. Is that not what you're doing to me? Am I also a bozo? That's the eternal question. My God. That we should all be asking ourselves anytime we give money to anyone. That is a good, like, life tip. Yeah, and it's like that friend who always talks shit about you Mm -hmm. when your other friends aren't around and you're like, this person wouldn't talk shit about me, though. And it's like, yes, they would. Of course they would. If they're a shit talker, they're gonna talk shit. Exactly. If you take one thing away from this episode, it's that. So, if you're cynical and jaded like me, you're probably asking yourself, well, what's the problem? If this is illegal, which it is in many, many countries, why? You know, if, if you agreed to give me money, I have your money. Whether I tricked you or not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I asked you for money and you gave it to me. What's the issue? So, the kind folks over at Investopedia helped me sum this up. Quote, the problem is that the scheme cannot go on forever because there are a finite number of people who can join the scheme, even if all the people in the world were to join. That has not happened yet, but I'm sure it might. That'd be wild. Uh, People are deceived into believing that by giving money, they will make more money. However, no wealth has been created. That's important. Mm -hmm. No product has been sold. No investment has actually been made. And no service has been provided. Mm -hmm. So you bring people into the fold with the idea that money is being generated, but it's not actually being generated. It's just being redistributed. Yes, exactly. Okay. And it's all coming kind of increasingly enlarging from this bottom tier which gives the illusion of wealth, but nothing is being generated. Hmm. So that is why, and you're kind of telling people that, you know, they're going to make money, they're going to make wealth, and they're actually not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the issue comes down to, like, exponential growth. You know, the bottom of the pyramid is going to keep getting bigger and bigger. If there were an infinite number of people in the world, everyone would make money infinitely, I guess? But you would have to hit bottom somewhere. Well, that's the idea of Infinity, which infinity, oh my god, I'm horrified. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, you know, once you hit the bottom, obviously everything collapses, but you usually don't get through all the people in the world before you hit bottom. You get yeah. to, like, the fourth tier, and somebody's like, mm, I don't think so. Wait a minute. Um, so, like I said, in order to give a sense of professionalism or credibility to the scheme, oftentimes it will be disguised as an investment opportunity or as an investment club mm-hmm. that requires consistent investment over time. So you're, like, a member. Yes. Um, and oftentimes it is described as, like, a gifting circle or chain mail or other nonsense words that trick your Facebook-wielding aunt into giving up her social security card. So now that we have a sense of how traditional pyramid schemes work, do you feel confident that you kind of get it? I do, I do. Yes. Let's break down a few different fancier models. Ooh. So the first fancy model, the eight ball model, (gasps) which is also known as the airplane game. So, um, in this model, there is no payout until there are four tiers of investors, so to speak. So, I'm going to ask you to sort of, like, close your eyes and actually picture this. Okay, here I go. All right, at the top is one person, and they're the captain. I'm imagining you. Oh my god, thank you so much. You're welcome. (laughs) I love to be, like, the Bernie Madoff in this scenario. Hell yeah. We'll get to him later. Woo! Um, so I'm at the top, and it's just one person, And, you know, like the classic pyramid scheme, I bring in two other people, and they're the co-pilots. Okay. So there's two people underneath me. Now, draw two lines beneath each of them, and that's your third tier. How many people are on your third tier? Four. Exactly. They're the crew. So then draw two lines underneath all four of them. Uh Uh-huh. Those are your passengers. Uh And how many of those are there? Eight? Exactly. So that's the eight ball scenario. It's the fastest math I've ever done. I know, you're killing it. So that's sort of an entire pyramid. That's the sort of scheme within itself. What happens is the pilot at the top of the pyramid says, 
okay, we're going to get a scheme of people together, each paying increasing increments of, let's say, $10,000 from the bottom up. So, like, you'll pay me $30,000 because you're my co-pilot, but the tier beneath you will pay $20,000, and the tier beneath them will pay ten. But once we have all four tiers paid up, I take that money and I leave the scheme. Oh. I exit the scheme. But then what happens, you as my co-pilot, you're the pilot now. You move up and you bring another fourth tier in. Interesting. And you collect all of the money from that entire tier and then you exit the scheme. And in theory, that happens forever. It happens until you get caught. It happens until all the people in the world run out, right? That's crazy. It's crazy. So that's airplane game, eight ball scenario. But again, this harkens back to the idea, no wealth is being created. And when everything falls apart, the people at the bottom are totally fucked. Because, you know, if, and if everything falls apart and you, you know, like the gig is up when you're the co-pilot, mm-hmm. who gives a shit? Yes. <laughs> you know, you lose. Um, so another model is called the Matrix. And I will say that this is now the third time that the Matrix has come up on this podcast. So I feel like I have to watch it. At this yeah, point. it's time. It's uh, really time. Maybe we'll watch it and then we'll film like your reaction to the yeah, Matrix. Yeah, or at least like um, maybe I'll do. We could finally put something back on our YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Perfect. Um, so a Matrix scheme is basically a virtual waiting line where you are in theory paying for the privilege to be on a wait list for something valuable or desirable, like a gadget or like, a video game or something, and you have to keep paying to move up the line. Spoiler alert, you never get your thing. Um, Oftentimes, it just doesn't exist. Oh, shit. Usually, only a few people actually get the item, and then those people are marketed like crazy, like, oh, this could be you with this, like, rare Pokemon card or whatever it is that you want so badly. But most often, those people are just um, shills, which is a word that I learned just now, shills. Um, basically just, like, a planted person who lies and, like, says that they got something from doing this scheme, but they they actually didn't. That makes no sense. It's basically, like, when you see an Instagram model who's like, you know, I lost 5,000 pounds because of flat tummy tea, and you're like, did you? (laughs) Were you 6,000 pounds? Yeah. That's not exactly the same, but it's the same to me. It reminds me of, there are some, like, Kickstarters that have become noticeable because they promised, like, A, a cool, interesting thing at the end, but B, like, rewards and stuff. But, Mm -hmm. like, Kickstarter has no real way of enforcing that. Right. So, like, if you run a Kickstarter and you're like, and anyone who gives me $100 will get, like, the Squatty Potty that I'm inventing. Right. And you never invent the Squatty Potty. Like, those people just never get their money or any of the promised things. Yeah. And I think that's you know, and I'll kind of get back to this later, is when you hand your money over, that has to be the risk that you take. Yeah. But but it just, it resonated with me with Kickstarter and, like, how do you know those people are really going to kickstart anything? Yeah, exactly. Um, Which you should ask of any investment deal. Amen. In my opinion. Okay, so at this point, I want to differentiate between a pyramid scheme and a Ponzi scheme. They're very similar in their visual shape. So, like, Just like before, it starts with one guy at the top, and the money moves towards him as more people get involved, right? Mm -hmm. But the difference in Ponzi schemes is that the newly acquired money is used to pay the quote-unquote return on investment. So there is really no return on investment. Yeah. But it's, you know, so the early investors are promised, you know, you're going to get your money back by X date. And by the time X date rolls around, they do get their money, and more so because all these other people have invested at this Uh point. 
But it's not actually an ROI. It's actually just money that's been kind of moved around. Yeah. Um, something I kept reading about Ponzi schemes was the idea of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, like that kind of idea. Yeah. And you just have to, like, keep getting people in and keep just, like, keeping your head above water. Right. And, and you skim off the top yeah. as it's going along. Uh, it was named after Charles Ponzi, who was a con man in the 20s, who ran a similar scheme. But you probably know about Ponzi schemes because of a man I already mentioned, Bernie Madoff, who Ooh. ran the largest Ponzi scheme in the world, estimated at $64.8 billion. Wild. That's, I just, I can't deal with the idea of a billion dollars. Yeah, it's outrageous. Like, if somebody was like, oh, here's a billion dollars, I feel like I would, like, freak out and light the check on fire. You know what yeah, I mean? Because I would be able to be like, it. nothing good is gonna come from a billion dollars. If you handed me a million dollars, I'd be, like, rattled, but, like, yes, but, like, rattled. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you just don't. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with a billion dollars? It's just going to ruin your life. Let alone however many billions of dollars that Bernie Madoff lost. Exactly. 60-something. No one with a billion dollars is happy. Now I sound, like, very Marxist, but (laughs) I I believe that. And you know what? If you want to prove us wrong, just send your check with one billion dollars to Allie Rayner and Sam Bundich. Yeah, you know what? I think you can spy me. Yep. Let's find out (laughs) how quickly I just, like, (laughs) allow my values to crumble. Oh, so quick. So, okay, that's pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes. So the last thing that I want to talk about is much more of a gray area, and that is multi-level marketing companies. Yes. So John Oliver actually did a wonderful segment on these, which helps break it down more than I will. Some common multi-level marketing companies are companies like Mary Kay Mm -hmm. and Avon, um, Herbalife is one that he talks about a lot. Um, New Skin, Amway, yeah. um, Rodan and Fields. Bringing it back, Nexium was a multi-level marketing scheme. Oh my god, are you kidding? Before it became a cult! There it is! How quickly the mighty have fallen. <laughs> and also something that probably everyone has heard of, LuLaRoe. Yes. So, I'm not necessarily saying that all of those are pyramid schemes. Many of them actually aren't. So, like, I wouldn't call Avon a pyramid scheme. Yeah. They do see significant return on investment. Mm -hmm. um, And a lot of people do sort of climb the ranks and are selling products. So I'll kind of get to the more definitive difference at the end. But these are all multi-level marketing companies, which means that they do fall under a pyramid sales model. That's how their sales work. Whether they like it or not, whether they find themselves to be ethical or not... They all do fall under pyramid sales, which means that they're selling product to sellers, and those sellers have sellers working under them, yes. and so on and so forth, to varying degrees. The very core of an MLM is different from a pyramid scheme because there's actually wealth being generated. So like I said before, in a pyramid scheme, no wealth is being generated. But in an MLM, consumers are buying products that are being sold. Yeah. So there is absolutely a level of legitimacy to them. So the problems arise when corporations mislead their bottom tier sellers into thinking they can sell more than they actually can Mm -hmm. in an oversaturated marketplace. So one example of that is the example that John Oliver talks about when he's discussing Herbalife, which is like a diet supplement and shakes company, and they'll encourage you to buy in bulk because they'll say, oh, you can get, you know, half off these shakes if you buy a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. And if you buy them at half off, when you sell them, you'll make double the profit or yeah. I don't know, math. Makes sense. Um, yeah, and so you do it, and then you try to sell them and realize you can't because a thousand other people took that same deal, and now they're trying to sell shakes. Yeah. You know, to their friends or on the internet or wherever. There is no supply and demand dictating what is and isn't sold. 
it's all up to the governing corporation to just convince you that you can try and sell them. Yeah. So the supply and demand is more about the seller. Mm-hmm. What they can sell to sellers rather than what they can actually sell for a profit. Yeah. But then again, they are making a profit. They're making a profit off the seller. Mm-hmm. So that is getting a little murky. Ooh. I don't know how I feel about that. How's that How's that all going to pan out? I'm not sure. I don't know either. There's a great article by Alden Wickler over at Quartz discussing the lawsuits that started to crop up against LuLaRoe last summer in 2017. She discusses the older model of traveling saleswomen who sold for, like, Mary Kay and Avon, like yeah. we said. And she goes on to say, quote, Of these second-wave MLMs masquerading as women's empowerment, LuLaRoe is queen. More than 80,000 women have paid around $5,000 for several boxes of low-cost clothing and worked as much as 80-hour weeks to outfit hundreds of thousands of suburban women in multicolored polyester. But according to a report that studied the business models of 350 MLMs published on the Federal Trade Commission's website, 99% of people who join multi-level marketing companies lose money. Yeah. 99% of people. That's pretty much everyone. Yeah. Depending on how you look at it, it's either a brilliant business model or a predatory practice or a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So again, that's that's kind of ethically confusing. Yeah, and it is very much like the person at the top is the one who's making the money. Like, that's classic pyramid scheme. Yes, exactly. And the one sort of caveat of that is, you know, again, this is a model that generates genuine wealth. And some people might be making money, but like, is it ethical to continue aggressively recruiting sellers telling them they'll turn their lives around when they know for a fact they won't, you know? But the devil's advocate can come in and say, well, they could, if they sell their products, they can make all their money back and they can make a profit. So we're not doing anything technically wrong because they could, in theory, turn a profit. Yeah. You know, and like I said, I'm sure there's people who have made money selling this clothes. So I absolutely don't blame anyone for, you know, joining it in moderation and committing themselves to selling a product. You know, if you have the means to do so and if you have the buying market to do so, Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, like, an Avon lady making it big. But if the overall company knows that most people are destined to fail, but market themselves as a way to succeed, like, is that wrong? That's kind of fucked up. Yeah, and then you add in marketing that includes, like, posting success stories while they're trying to make you eat up their back stock, and then, like, one woman was even told that she should sell her car in order to buy more inventory when she reached out anxious about low sales and they were like oh well you should just you got to buy more inventory because you don't have enough sizes you don't have enough inventory so people don't want to buy but if you buy more inventory that's going to fix your problem yeah it might not yeah exactly and then you know it's a struggle because it's just such a back and forth of like well she shouldn't take that obviously terrible advice you know but they are a corporation and they're selling something that's a lie and you can't necessarily put forward it's like they're selling a product and the product is sales Yeah. You know? Yeah. And can you market a successful sales career when you know for a fact that almost everyone's going to fail at it? Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when you have to look at the shape of these selling interactions at companies like these. You know, like I said, it's a pyramid of sellers selling their own stock down to new pluckier sellers. So then another facet of this is, picture this, you're that woman who has a garage filled with 100 or 500 dry chocolate shake mixes. Yes. And you're in debt. The company won't take them back, and if they do, it's at a fraction of the price. So what do you do? I find a friend of mine who's even dumber than me. You find your dumbest friend. (laughs) Her name is Karen. And I say, (laughs) 
Karen. I made that up. I don't know any woman named Karen. Yeah, we don't know anyone. But I'm Karen. sure you're a genius, Karen, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. My dumb friend named Karen. I say, Karen, I want to offer you an opportunity. I've made millions. I've made millions. Selling these shakes. And I know you're having a hard time. Yep, I want to make you millions. Do you want to buy these shakes off me? Exactly. Just so I can pay my rent. Right. You recruit more people to sell your, basically, you know... Shit no one wants. <laughs> yeah, shit inventory. Not because you're an entrepreneur, not because you're bringing investors into an exciting opportunity, but because you're scared and you have no other options. Yeah. Um, That's and then, horrifying. yeah, and it leads them to be scared and have no other options. And so in order to try to warn the public about tendencies of multi-level marketing companies to veer into this territory, the Federal Trade Commission stated, quote, not all multi-level marketing plans are legitimate. If the money you make is based on your sales to the public, it may be a legitimate multi-level marketing plan. If the money you make is based on the number of people you recruit and your sales to them, it's probably not. It could be a pyramid scheme. So that's kind of the way yeah, that, that you feels tell. Yeah, like, that feels like you a know? good rule of thumb. Right. If it's just all smoke and mirrors and all about the kind of people that you can get involved, mm-hmm. you gotta assume that it's all about the new pools of money that you can bring in for this company. Yeah. It's not about interacting with consumers and making sales and being a traveling salesman and what have you. You know, and using your social mar- media marketing and all that kind of... It's all that good stuff, you yeah. know? Like, that's a perfectly perfectly respectable way to make a living is by selling objects to people who need them. Yes. You know? Um, but... But you might be getting scammed even as you try to sell things to people who need them. Right. If you're selling people on the idea of selling and it's not working out for anyone, PSA, you might be in a pyramid scheme. Bah, bah, bah. Um, exactly. So, what do you think? Is this a disgusting, predatory arm of capitalism, or are people just being stupid with their investments? You know, are people just making bad decisions and it's their fault? I mean, it's both. It's both. Because it's like, if you, so if I am a woman, and I, you know, aren't making the income I need, but don't have the time or the ability to get another job. Right. And then I hear about this thing where it's like, I could start a Facebook group. And sell candles. And sell my friend's jamberry nail wraps, like, and sell... Oh, that's another one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, LuLaRoe leggings. I'm in all these groups. Someone has added me to all of these right. groups. And that's a way to, like, make an income. Yeah. Like, I totally see the the appeal of being like, great, I'm gonna be on fucking Facebook anyways. Yeah, especially if you have a friend who maybe did make an income on yeah. it. Yeah. And people do. And, like, when I was growing up, a girl in my neighborhood, her mom sold Mary Kay... And her whole basement was filled with Mary Kay products. And when you went to sleep over her house, her mom would let you pick one Mary Kay product that you got to take home. Oh. And she sold so much Mary Kay that they gave her a pink Cadillac. Are and you she wasn't kidding me. And she would drive around our neighborhood in her pink Mary Kay Cadillac. It was amazing. Oh my god, that's the dream. I'm so like my job today. But like because of that, in my brain, I'm always like, yeah, like I don't get selling Jamberry nail wraps. But on the other hand, like Mrs. B from my neighborhood. Had a pink Cadillac. Yeah, you could take that pink Cadillac to the bank. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, it's a bit for, it's a bit of both for me too. You know, I, I think what I would say is this: if you haven't seen significant return on investment in a business venture, don't put more money in. Mm. You know, you have to stop and take that as a loss rather than like doubling down and buying more things to sell. And then selling those things to more sellers. You know, in a, in a way, it's like a gambling addiction. You know, mm-hmm. like. 
you know, like, oh, I didn't win that one, so, like, let me just try one more time, and then I'll try one more time, and then I'll try yeah. one more time, and maybe if I just invest a little more, a little more, And then I did it'll pay sell off. a pair of leggings, so let me buy six more pairs of exactly. leggings. Because now I'm, I'm working. But it has to be acknowledged that many of these companies are knowingly keeping their prospective sellers ignorant of how pretty much imminent their failure is. Yeah. And so whether or not that's, like, illegal doesn't matter to me. That's wrong. Yeah. Morally, me. that's fucked. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely, it's complicated. It is complicated. And you know what? I'm horrified. And I'm, I, anything complicated, I'm horrified. Oh, yeah. yeah the math we did at the beginning. A little Ugh. shivers. I got to eight all by myself. How yeah. did I do that? But that's all I got. That's uh, pyramid schemes for you. That's so bizarre. Right? And, like, just to connect it back up to Nexium, like, I know, like, I'm sure you're in these Facebook groups, too, and I'm in them when people have mm-hmm. added me to a LuLaRoe or a Jamberry or a... What other ones am I am? I'm in, like, I think I'm in an Avon. Rodan and Fields. Rodan and Fields. Yep. And you get, you like, I don't want to, like, I don't want to villainize. Like, and I, I don't like it no. when people are like, oh, like, those people are just, like, idiots. Like, that's not necessarily true, but there's people who are doing it responsibly and people who aren't. Yes. You know, I think that's what I want to, want to key on. I'm not trying to, like, poke fun or anything no, like that. Course. I'm just kind of being, like... There is a way that this can be very bad and very dangerous, just like any investment, and it works very closely with the manipulative elements of a pyramid scheme because by nature it is the same format. Yes. That's kind of what is scary to me. Yes. And interestingly, I found, like, the company culture that I'm seeing, like, these women that I know on these Facebook groups Mm -hmm. are like, this organization can change your life. This organization is making a change yeah, in the world. Yeah, it's so this passionate. This organization is amazing. And that's why multi-level marketing schemes can become cults like Nexium. Yeah, it's true. It's because you genuinely feel like, wow, being a part of this it's a turned my life yeah. around. It's a yep. lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. And then fucking Vanguard has you brand your friend Karen. Oh, boy. <laughs> Karen's <do>? back. <laughs> Karen's back. And she's got his initials branded on her thigh. Uh, what if that happened with, like, Rodan and Fields? And it's, like, <laughs> it's just some poor mom trying to sell her moisturizer, and she's being branded. But it's an R and an F, and it's Lord. pretty tasteful. <laughs> it's, like, script. Ooh, sexy. Lucida handwriting. I love that. All right. That's about that. Jeez. There we go. That is, that's horrifying because it is, like, a moral minefield. Yes, exactly. You yes. know, it's, like, an ethical what? Mm. So... But what do you have for us, Sam? Um, what are we talk about? In some ways, this is an ethical what? And in some ways, this is an ethical duh. Right. So, okay. But also complicated. But also cute, maybe, or not so cute. Both. We're talking about dogs. So, what I'd like to say is that puppies are good and pure. Oh. Uh, and that we as humans must always fuck up everything good in our lives. Of course. So, let's talk about pure breeding dogs. All right. Let's um, do it. So... The first thing that I'd like to say is that there's a difference between selectively breeding a dog and pure breeding a dog. Oh, I don't know the difference. Yes. So, so like, all dogs were wolves, right? <laughs> let's take it way let's, back. We're really going back. All right, let's do it. All dogs were wolves at some point. Okay. And then we were like, hey, wolves, do you want to come into our house and share our food? And in return, like, you'll growl at scary things. And the wolves were like, all right. Let's do this. <laughs> And so then we domesticated the wolves, and then their dogs. And then I was like, I, I, here I am, I'm like a prehistoric person. It's not prehistoric, but like way back in history when we just had wolves. And I'm like, I've noticed that my wolf pet is very good at sniffing and can just find anything. Right. And my neighbor Karen, her wolf pet. Karen's back. 
She's a great sniffer as well. What if we had our two wolf pets fall in love? They have a baby, and that baby's an incredible sniffer. Airtight. And they can find all my shit for me. It's so good at sniffing. Perfect. And then maybe you're down the street, and you're like, you know what? My wolf pet is great at herding my sheep. And also, my neighbor Becky's wolf pet, also pretty good at herding sheep. Working with the same cast of characters on this one. <laughs> well, if we have them established, yeah, if true. we're in the world of this Just imagining cast. all of our contemporary characters, but with, like, little petticoats on. Exactly. You know? That's also, I was imagining full, like, loincloths. I'm imagining, like... Real? Okay. Way back. I don't know if that's correct. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, Becky's wolf pet, also very good at herding sheep. Okay. If they get married, those two dogs. Perfect. Sheep herders. Amazing. So that's how we get dog breeds, is by selectively breeding. Okay, so that's selective breeding. Yes. And that's okay. It's A-okay to selectively breed your dog and go, wow, my golden retriever is really good at retrieving, and your Labrador retriever also great at retrieving. Let's have them fuck each other. (laughs) That's aces. Let's do that. (laughs) And their dog will retrieve my shit. Perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> but then we get to pure breeding. So pure breeding is when you want a dog that is like a perfect dog. And maybe... Do- excuse me, stop. Every dog is the perfect dog. <laughs> I know, I'm How sorry. How dare you? I'm sorry. Well, these people... So imagine that you had just read um, Charles Darwin's Theory of Evolution for the first time. Naturally. And you think to yourself, I want a master dog. <laughs> Every morning I wake up, I think that. This is quite literally what happened, because it started happening a hundred years ago after people read this book. Oh my god, They were like, my dumb idiot dog isn't good enough anymore, and I want a dog where I know who its dad was, and its dad's dad, and its dad's dad's dad, and its mom. I want to be like the Malfoys. And its mom's mom. Yes. Yes. It is exactly like the Malfoys. With that. So, that is when you are pure breeding a dog. Okay. And pure breeding is just kind of a cuter way, it turns out, to say inbreeding a dog. Oh, no. And inbreeding a dog is very bad. Okay. So, what is inbreeding and why is it bad? You might be thinking. You're probably not. You've probably heard of inbreeding. No, I just thought it. So, inbreeding happens when individuals who are closely related produce offspring together. So, anything that fucks can do this. You sound like Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> I am Bill Nye the Guess Science what, Guy. Guess what, kids? Okay, give so, me more examples. So humans can inbreed. If you decide right. to fuck your cousin, don't you're, you're in. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're inbreeding. If your cat and your cat's brother, who's also a cat, they want to fuck. Inbreeding. This is reminding me of uh, Percy Shelley and cousin Harriet. Yes. But then he had to marry non-cousin Harriet. Yeah. Percy and his cousin, though, that would have been inbreeding. Exactly. And so an individual can inbreed, and it's, like, not great, but fine. But the bigger problem happens when a population inbreeds. So take, for example, like, most of the royalty in the world. Mm. They've all been intermarrying and fucking each other, and, like, because of that... Like the Romanovs with the... Because of that. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, the Romanovs, they were all cousins. They were all fucking first cousins. This is, like, the throwback palooza. <laughs> I love it. And because of that, poor Alexei bled all the time because of hemophilia. Thank God it didn't matter because he was murdered at such a young age. <laughs> Phew! <laughs> Close one! We're glad those genes got ended. Just kidding. Rip, oh, Alexi. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, 
So, um, that's also true of, like, the Habsburg line of kings. They all had right. this really, um, like, famously huge chin. Really? And it was because they were all just fucking each other, so the chin just Ew. got bigger and bigger and bigger, because they Weird. were all fucking each other. So that's, so, so inbreeding is bad. <laughs> Don't do it. The reason it's so bad is because you have genes in your body. I'm really just <laughs> explaining it all tonight. Clarissa explains Break it, it down. All. You have genes in your body. You got half of them from your mom and half of them from your dad. If your mom had a gene that was a little fucked up, not like crazy, it actually doesn't matter because your dad also gave you one of those genes. Right. And that gene can just like kind of do the work for the other gene. We're good. And you end up being fine. When you inbreed, your mom and your dad had the same mom and dad, and then they don't have that good gene right. to fix each other. You need so- you need to be different. Yes. You need different stuff in there. Um, and that ends up being called something called genetic drift, is when, like, you're losing all this good DNA because you're just having, like, these two, like, lines fuck each other constantly, or this one line fuck each other constantly, and so, like, all this helpful shit dies off. And you only have the weirdest, most fucked up shit left. My God. Which is not, which is not good. I'm horrified as well. So, we do this to dogs now. This inbreeding shit. I didn't think about it this way. Yeah. Because we want them to be show dogs. We want them to be purebred. We want them to be the most perfect and their tail's at the right angle and their face is the cutest. And I want all those things. But reminder, all dogs are perfect. They are. So, there you go. We'll keep coming back and hammering that point home. Yeah, absolutely. So, we we started doing this pure breeding of dogs, which is different from the selective breeding, which is fine to do, around the time that social Darwinism became a thing. And we were like, yeah, we want, like, the best of the best. And there's a phrase, I guess, in, like, the dog breeding community, which is, breed the best to the best, spay and neuter the rest. That is very eugenics-y. Yeah, it's very weird. I hate that. And it's, and it is, like, you're losing all these other genes of perfectly good and nice dogs because you're not letting them breed. And you just breed, you know, Timothy and Timothy's sister with each other. Timotha. Timotha. Tamantha. (laughs) (laughs) And so, around this time that we're pure breeding dogs and social Darwinism really kicks off, Um, there's something called a closed register, or the other phrase is a closed stud book. Whoa, what? So the American Kennel Club are the people that oversee, like, all the dog shows and all the breeds of dogs. Mm -hmm. And they, like, they're the ones who decide when there's a new breed and if you're allowed in and all that stuff. And originally, registers or stud books were open, as in, like, your parent, uh, so I'm a dog. My parent (laughs) dogs don't have to be in the book necessarily for me to get into the book. Okay. If you can be like, look at me though, I I look like a pug and I have this corkscrew tail and look at my little weird face. You'd be like, yeah, great. You're registered with us. You're a pug officially. I love it. We then closed our stud books. Wink. Um, Hot. Hot. Which meant that if you want to be considered, like, an official member of this breed of dog, if you want to be an official pug, your parents, and now probably your grandparents and your great-grandparents, have to be listed in this book. My god. And obviously, when you fucking do that, you end up just breeding the same thing to each other all the time. 
And, like, literally, if you, you're not eligible to compete in American Kennel Club shows if you are not on, like, in their book, and you can't be in their book unless your parents are in their book. Oh, that's wild. So, it, My dog is, um, in the books. Yeah. He's mine too. registered. It's just a little shih tzu. He does, he's not worthy of any kind of accolades, <laughs> though. He's, he's deeply unimpressive. Yeah. As shih tzus go. But he does have papers. There you go. Yeah, my, I have a golden retriever. And we got her from a breeder just because my dad knew that breeder. Like, we had no interest in purebred dogs. Right. But it was, like, his friend. And so we got her, and they asked us not to, like, fix her for the first two years because they wanted to breed her. Right. And then they found out she had, like, a very small heart murmur that is, like, not a risk to her. But because it exists, she's not perfect. So they were like, oh, we don't give a fuck about this dog anymore. Yeah, to which you say, I disagree. She is perfect. <laughs> she's my perfect. Oh, God. She's so... We'll tweet a picture of my dog and Allie's dog, you guys. Who I love, even though he's dumb. Yeah. They're so good. All dogs are so good. Uh, Why do we do this to them? Oh, no. So, doing this is obviously fucked up. But the really fucked up thing about it is that it's hurting the dogs. Oh. The little dogs... They're hurt. They're the hurting. The idea of any hurt dog makes me want to hurt humans. I know. And we should because it's our fault. So studies have shown that fertility and litter size are very adversely affected with populations that are um, purebred like this. No. So that just means like less puppies and sicker puppies. Oh no. I know. This is going up. I'm upset. And some breeds of consistently inbred dogs have such small populations that their future is at risk. So like they just keep being born sicker and dying faster and born too sick to reproduce because it's not fair to whatever the baby would be. And so, like, these breeds are literally in danger. No. But because of the closed stud book, and it's called a stud book because it lists the dads, and the dads are, like, breeding studs, which is hilarious. Patriarchy. Hell yeah. Um, Because of the closed stud book, nobody wants to breed their dog with anyone else who's not in the book, because then their dog, the puppies won't be able to compete in competitions. So if you're a breeder, that defeats the whole purpose, even though you're just creating sicker and sicker puppies. No. So, like, I'm going to list off a couple sad examples. One sad example is that you can buy puppies who will grow into a dog without a muzzle, but a muzzle is a part of the canine body that is essential for cooling and effective breathing. So the Yeah, fact, my dog doesn't have one. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they can be born, like, we have bred them without muzzles is very weird and right. bizarre and kind of fucked up. Oh, no. Um, just to list off some examples, um, I hope everyone hears their favorite dog breed here. I know I do. Dachshunds originally had much longer legs, and because their legs have been bred to be short, because it looks cuter. It is cute. Their stomach scrapes the ground and gives them, like, rashes. And they have joint and spinal problems. No! Um, Labradors experience joint and eye disorders because of the way they've been bred. Oh. Um, Springer Spaniels suffer from an enzyme deficiency found solely in a Springer Spaniel. So, like, they have like, formed a new disease because oh their God. genes are so fucked up. Golden Retrievers de- develop an abnormally high level of cancer. And we do. We have Chloe. Like, anytime anything's oh weird God. on Chloe, we're like, is this cancer? Look at it. And then, thank God the doctor's always been like, no. But still. Little Goldens. Um, West Island Terriers are affected by, a, a, the like, the largest number of allergies of any dog. No. Cute. They're just sneezing. <laughs> just sneezing. I'm crying. I want to hug every dog in the world right now. Um, Yeah. And now just to end my segment, and this is going to hurt you, I know. What? 
Consider the pug. Don't talk about pugs in front of me. That's my favorite pup. So this is the headline that I pulled this from. No, it, it says, says <laughs> it says pugs genetically deformed, and that font is it's big, rudely large. So pugs are one of the most inbred of all dog breeds. Oh no, just sad. And you can see the bizarre thing about pugs is that like people have always loved pugs, so they've been in art forever. So you can literally see. Of course you do. So oh. like this version of a pug from hundreds of years ago has like long legs that match the size of its body and it has like more of a muzzle and then like scrolling down this pug has much shorter legs but still could be a dog its muzzle is way shorter and then it's like this is what a pug looks now a weird wrinkly idiot that i want (laughs) they want a hole (laughs) yes but it's not good for the pug, Allie. It looks like a marshmallow with the heart of it a does. lion. It does. I love him. Um, the pug is so inbred, genetically speaking, it is more endangered than a panda bear. I am literally going to start drinking <laughs> on the air right now because I can't deal with this. So pugs have these problems. Knee disorders. No. Stomach problems. Stop it. Their larynx collapses. Do you mean their larynx? Am I wrong? <laughs> I didn't know how to pronounce that word. Is it larynx? Larynx, yeah. Larynx, larynx. I think you might have just... No, you didn't spell it wrong. No, the I The Y just... comes before the... I know, but that's just an, such an odd place for a Y. Continue. All right. Well, that collapses. <laughs> um, they have breathing problems because of their squashed faces. That one I knew. My Shih Tzu has that, too. Yeah. Um, they have a propensity to suffer from eye injuries because... Their dumb eyelids can't close all the way around their eyes. No. So stuff gets in there. And they have a curvature of the spine, and that's because they've been bred to have their dumb screw tail. Jesus Christ. So every time you just want to touch a screw tail, it's actually making their back hurt. I was thinking about a pug that I met on the street once. It was a little black pug, and it was named Waffles. Oh. I now want to, like simultaneously like I want to hold him but I also want to like hold him in my arms and like fling the both of us into the ocean yeah. and just be like I want to release you from this pain. So some like the UK had a big initiative that did not go over well when they were like hey like we should start breeding pugs with other stuff because or we should start euthanizing them because it is unfair to these animals to oh have to God. live. And obviously everyone was like fuck you and kept breeding <laughs> pugs. But like literally the UK Kennel Club was like guys this is we bad stop. Yeah. Um, one more thing about pugs um, is because their small size and their weight makes them unsuitable for exercise. It does. So yeah. it leads to obesity. Aww. To which I'm like same. But it's cute it is, but they should be able to run and do stuff. I'm going to post a um a really really heartwarming video of two sister pugs who were overfed oh. and by their owner, which is not right. You know, no, you can't do, do that. And then they were given up to a shelter, and they found a new owner who put them on a new diet and got them active and healthy again. That's good. I'm glad. And. Uh, and so, I mean, so the, the good news is we know, in theory, how to solve these problems. And it's to open the registers, open the stud books, and let some interbreeding happen so we can get rid of some of these fucked up genetic abnormalities. Right. And just go back to, like, dogs. And maybe your pug will be a little less squishy, 
but because it's less squishy, it can breathe and run and have fun with you better. I will take that chance. And also, my boyfriend and I are planning to adopt a pug, but we will adopt, like, a shelter pug, so. Yes. We won't adopt a bred pug. Yeah. That's probably a good move. Just, just do that for the sake of the pug, and now I'm just gonna end with this picture of a happy pug. Oh, it's so cute. But yeah, uh, pure breeding dogs. I'm horrified. Oh, I'm so upset. I'm so upset. And we should just let dogs fuck each other. And whatever comes out, I'll love it. <laughs> it was beautiful. Thank you. Oh my god. Guys. I'm so overwhelmed. Oh my god, you saw the picture of the pug up. I'll tweet that. Yeah, we'll tweet this photo. Oh we'll my god. This will be our teaser for the week. You guys I- will see a tweet. Like, tomorrow. That's, like, guess what our next episode's about. I'll also, yeah, I'll also probably tweet, um, a picture of me at the local Boston pug meetup from last (laughs) month, where I met many pugs. (laughs) So that's just a window into how this personally affects me. But But I also, like, I have a Shih Tzu, like, I've mentioned five times before, but, like, my little Shih Tzu, you know, he suffers from a lot of the same things that pugs do, because he's got, like, a shoved-in little snout. And I think the thing is, like, we didn't even think about it. You know, I'd never had dogs growing up, and Mm -hmm. so when we decided to get a dog, it was just like, where do we go get one? You know what I mean? Like, we didn't really do that much sort of research Mm -hmm. about, you know, all these finer things, and I wish we had. Not that I would ever trade Baxter for the world. You guys were just like, what's the smallest, dumbest one we can get? Yeah, literally, we were like, we went to pick out, like, a little Shih Tzu, and it was just the one who was moving the least and licked at our toes, and we were like, you're getting in the car, you're coming home. And you're he came home, now. and now he's five, and I love him. Oh, Baxter. But you he are is my like. Little gentleman. Yes. Um, that's his namesake. But he, you know, when you take him on a long walk, like, he just kind of lays on his side and he lets his little fat little stomach hang out, and he goes, just goes like. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can see it. He's just like, ugh. He's struggling. Lord, release me. This poor bug. This poor guy. <laughs> this poor man. Baxter. He will bug. Yeah, just, like, all these pugs have sleep apnea. Like, that's just oh, what I want to no. leave you with. Oh, my God! <laughs> I can't do this anymore. Have we gotten too horrifying, finally? Yes. Do we have to do an episode of I'm Thrilled? <laughs> Should we do the a, The only um, episode we could do of I'm Thrilled is, um, is of pugs, and now I eat through No, you can't. It. Should we do it cautiously optimistic? I yeah, let's end it that way. I don't have one off the top of my head. I don't either. Um, what am I cautiously optimistic about? Oh, I have one. Give me it. So, you guys might remember one of the earlier episodes I talk about ABC's The Bachelor. Well, I'd just like to say, so far, this season of The Bachelorette has been very good, and I am cautiously optimistic that Becca will find love. After she was fucked by Ari. Oh my god. (laughs) Who this podcast is on the record as being against. We hate him. That's a political stance we've chosen, Absolutely. So, maybe tune into this season of The Bachelorette. Like I've said before... The Bachelorette is way more of an enjoyable watching experience than oh, The Bachelor yeah. ever is, for me at least. Always. And if you're looking for some fun trash, I would like Becca to find love, so. Same. I'm cautiously optimistic about the fact that today I saw a corgi on the street, so now that I know that he lives near my street, and, um, we're gonna see him I again. might see him again. Hell yeah. Okay, everyone, well, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for joining us, and, um, stay horrified. Stay horrified. Thank you.